Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on a Jupiter and Mars. In other words, hold my hand. In other words, baby, kiss me. Nice. Thanks, John. Now, I got to ask you, Frank or Nat King Cole's version? That's Frank. That's Frank. Right? I love Frank. I love Frank too. He's amazing. But I just uh, when I heard Nat's version, I was like, it's not bad. Yeah. It's, it's a different vibe, but it's nice still. So, uh, you know, sometimes I get up. You know, I'm up at uh, four thirty, five a.m. And by the time my wife, I hear my wife up at seven, and I go in the the uh, the living room. I put on some YouTube. I put a little Frank on. Just it helps. You know, have my coffee, my espresso, and just yeah. I, I love listening to some. Yeah. You know, Dean Martin, the old the old Rat Pack, and Rat pack, I love it. I love it. More, eh? All yeah. that stuff. No, it's great. It's nice I time. was going to sing a Dean Martin song, and I thought, nah, I'm going to go with Frank. No, that's a great track, man. <laughs> John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Manny. Great to be here. Last to have you on the show. It's actually probably, yeah, it's our first, like, technically dollar sign show. Okay. Like, and this is an important subject for me, and I've, I've shared my thoughts on the show before, and I've, I've mentioned it to other people that uh, trace people in general, contractors in general, they're hardworking individuals. They want to provide for their friends and family and everybody. They want to help out, but they're not the best at, um, I don't know what the term would be used to, to managing money, managing money. Yeah. So with today's show, we're going to talk a lot about managing money. We're going to talk about investing. We're going to talk about just, I guess we'll get into RSSPs and we'll get into TFSAs. We'll get into all these letters, all kinds of stuff, yeah. but it's just, I want you to give us a snapshot, just a brief idea of everything because you offer all these services. You, you're basically go to, you've been doing it for how many years now? 25 years yeah so you you know it's not your first canoe trip right that kind of <laughs> idea right so you, like i, I wanted everybody to know that this is a good show that uh you're definitely gonna need a notepad i, I think you, you should probably take some notes you totally should take notes or listen to the show second third fourth yeah. time and just take some notes and yeah. we'll share how much we can share uh but before i get into that john mcneil i'm wearing his tea today thanks so much mcneil construction uh everybody always brings me a shirt and i wear somebody else's shirt while i'm doing every single show and if you catch me with nobody's shirt on uh it's because i forgot but i can't forget now because all the shirts underneath the table so had i known that i would have brought you something versace or something oh you bring me anything if you want john uh durbano john durbano is here signature wealth advisory uh www.johndurbano.com and it's uh you want me to share the number the phone number Sure. Uh, 647-300-4495. And you can reach him on his email at john at signaturewealth.ca. And then all over social, IG at johnny.durbano. And then Facebook is John W.D. Durbano. And then TikTok is john.durbano. And then LinkedIn, John Durbano. I'm saying it right, right? Durbano. Durbano. Durbano, yeah. And then on YouTube, you got your own channel, which is john.durbano. Yeah. And then do you want to share that? I mean, what, what's the name of the book? uh it's called uh, wealth without wall street and it's coming out soon uh it's in publishing right now we're going through first rounds of edits but it, uh i'm hoping it's going to be out around march time so nice. we're now going to be looking at doing some book cover design but if people really want to get a hold of me if they go into any of my social media platforms i have a link tree there they can actually go on and book a 30-minute consultation with me and uh, we can discuss their their personal financial uh, financial situation you're busy like I guess my first question is, how do you make the time? Yeah, between having a mortgage business and a real estate business and the wealth management, I don't have a lot of time. <laughs> but you have your own family, you yeah. got everything going on. Then you also have your downtime, a cigar here and there. You know, you got to relax and find time to listen to Frank and 
Time management. It's just, that's all it is, right? Time management. You know what? Um, A few years ago, I really didn't have the time. And I read Robin Sharma's book, The 5 a.m. Club. Mm -hmm. And he goes through a whole procedure of what to do with your time. And I found that getting up at 5 a.m., I was, you know, I I was going to bed like, you know, 11, 30, 12 o'clock, like most people, right? Now, uh, 9.30, I'm I'm yawning at 9 o'clock. And sometimes, you know, my wife's nudging me because I'm snoring, but... Um, 9.30, we head up to bed and I'm up at 4.30, 5 a.m. And I find that I get so much done between 5 and 7. Yep. I get a ton of work done. Yep. I'm so productive at that time. I and, used to do the 5. Yeah. And then I realized I didn't have enough time in the morning. So then I changed it to 4. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, 4 was making more sense for me. Yeah. And then I was getting to bed. If I get past 10.30, then 4 hurts to wake up right it's that 10 30 window or whatever it's just kind of weird if that you get in there past 10 30 to 11 four just becomes really difficult right but if i get in there before 10 30 i'm out like a light then you're like you're up at four you're up at four yeah, yeah. that's what i like about it right so you're 100 percent right you get so much done in such peace and quiet it's quiet it's quiet right and, yeah. and i know that people in construction trades trust me you'll appreciate that hour or two oh, yeah. before you take off and heads for your day you'll get so much, you'll be so productive. If anything on that day, that's going to be the most productive part of the day right there. Everything yeah. else will be maybe a little bit of a shit show or whatever, but that part will be amazing. It was great because I, you know, my wife said to me, she goes, are you going to come to the gym tomorrow? And I said, no, I said, I, I've got a show to do. I've got a bunch of work. I don't think I'm going to make it because I'm usually up by five. And then usually around six thirty, I go down and do my cardio with a gym in the basement. And then I'll go to the gym with her. But I got up and I was like, I got two hours of work done. And at seven o'clock, I said, Here, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to rush off. And she was getting up. She's like, where are you going? I'm heading to the gym. And I was back home by 8.30, did some more work. And here I am. So if, if, you, if you learn how to manage your time, you can get a lot of things done and still have time to play golf and smoke cigars and do things with your friend and family time. I want to get into what's interesting. Um, like we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff here, but... Do you handle your clients differently if they're at different increments of age? Because obviously people, I guess the 20-year-olds that are relatively smart about this and have been woken up to it Mm -hmm. and not living that lifestyle of just show off, show off, show off, right? Um, And they're being conscious of what, you know, not to spend more than they're earning, right? Do you treat or do you speak to 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 year olds differently about how to move forward with your wealth and how to handle things? Yeah, that's a really good question, Manny. Um, everyone's at different stages in their life. Um, obviously, the 50 year old, mostly, most of the time, they've already got some savings. They got some RSPs, they got some TFSAs, and they've got equity in their home, and they're at different stages in their life, and they're wondering, hey, listen, I'm. 10, 15 years out from retirement, what can I be doing? Um, and then you got your 25-year-olds who aren't even thinking retirement. They're thinking of hitting the clubs, doing bottle service, you know, souping up that, that car and impressing people, right? They're not even thinking. They're not even putting any money away. They're blowing every dollar they get. So yeah. it's a complete different uh, mind shift. And so when I'm working with the younger people, the first thing I get them to do is learn to pay yourself first. And once you start paying yourself first, it's okay, where does that money go? And then we start focusing on, um, you know, do you have a house? No? Okay, let's let's start putting away some money for a house. You know, 
when do you think about retiring? Like, cause you know, 20 years I don't think about that, but it's something that you, you, sure. you, you have to think about. I mean, God, I, I'm 52 now. And I think, you know, when I was 30 and I'm thinking that, that 22 years wasn't that long ago. And you know, Honestly. it's creeping up. It, it does go fast. And, you know, I go back to the earlier you start investing, the more doubling effects because money's a game. And the game is about how many times you can double your money. And if you start when you're 45 and you're looking to retire at 65, you might get two, maybe, maybe three doubling effects. So if you've got, you know, $100,000 and you double it to two and then it goes to four and then 800,000, 1.6 and 3.2 million, that's great if you're starting at 20 years old or 25. But if you're looking to double 100,000 at 45 and you're looking to retire at 65, if you're getting, you know, an, uh, an 8% rate of return or a 7%, you might, you might get three. You might get three doubling facts. Unless you figure out other ways to kind of increase your income at that point. But at certain stages in your life, you're almost hitting a plateau. Are you financially speaking? I know that a lot of people portray different lifestyles that there's, mm-hmm. they're, I guess, the 99% are pretending to be a part of the 1%, mm-hmm. which is just cause and effect. And it's just like you look at social media and everyone always wants to portray something that's they're really not. And they're trying to be bigger than what they are, yeah. but they're just keeping up with the Joneses. Right. So it's like, should you just be, just forget about all that and just focus on picturing who you are going to be 30 years from now, whether you're 20, 30, 40. I mean, life expectancy for men and women nowadays, we're going into our 80s now, average. Barring yeah. major illnesses, right? Yeah. If you just are healthy and you take care of yourself, eat right, there's a good chance you're going to be living until your 80s, right? So look at it that way. But if you're a 20-year-old and whatever age, think that far into the future. From an actuarial uh, standpoint, um, life expectancy for a male right now is about age 82. Yeah. And a woman is 80, age 85. Yeah. And that's today. That's today. So when we get there, which is 30 years from now, we're going to probably be pretty close to 100. Close to 100. Because if you go back to the 60s, the life expectancy back then, it was like 68, 70. And like, like, look how far we've advanced now. I mean, back then, you know, they weren't even thinking they were putting it away for retirement. Now, you know, we're living longer and there's a race going on between you and your money. And that is just one race that you don't want to win. It's a very good point. And it's just like everyone has this idea of, I mean, you're probably old enough to remember the whole Freedom 55 kind of mentality, right? Remember that? <laughs> yeah. Like just pushing those <laughs> yeah. spots over and over. And and I started thinking, sure, that's that's wonderful that you want to retire at 55. But if you're living to 85, now you have 30 years of you need a nest egg. 30 years of unemployment. Unemployment. Yeah. So how are we, and I guess I want to ask you, what are people doing wrong money-wise? Like, where are they wasting opportunity? That's a really good question. What are they doing wrong? They're listening to their friends. And they're listening to people who are listening or following people that haven't been successful. And I'm going to tell you, the banks give really bad advice. They, get bad, they give great they, advice to benefit them. Bingo. <laughs> Bingo. See, there's, there's two, um, I call it the accumulation theory and the theory of velocity. Mm-hmm. Banks and financial institutions want you to subscribe to this theory of accumulation. And that's what most financial advisors push. 
And the reason why most financials, and I was one of those guys for 16 years, I was one of those financial advisors that was pushing you to put into your RSPs, to put into your TFSA, to accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. Why? Because it benefited me because mm -hmm. I got paid on assets. When you, even when you lose, I get paid. Yeah. It benefits the bank because they're looking at assets under management. So while they're trying to tell you to accumulate, that's not what they're doing. They're taking your money and they're renting it out and they're creating velocity with your money. And velocity is being able to take a dollar and turn that dollar over as many times as possible. So if the banks were doing what they told you, they'd all go broke. And this, this whole theory of accumulation is, hey, great, put away into your RSPs, max out and put into your TFSAs build up this great little nest egg so when you get to 65 you could retire the problem with that is that this whole theory of accumulation is hey great i've got a million dollars in my investments congratulations you're a millionaire on paper but in theory you're broke because the monte carlo theory which is you want to be able to have the safe withdrawal amount that you don't run out of money. Remember I talked about that race going on between you and yeah, your money yeah. and the safe withdrawal rate to make sure that that doesn't happen is 3%. So on 3% of a million, that's 30 grand. Mm -hmm. And now you got to pay tax on that. Now you're at 22,000. You're a millionaire on paper, but you're living in scarcity. You're in poverty. You are living in poverty. So what I teach clients is stop focusing on accumulation and start focusing on building assets that produce cash flow. Like real estate. Yes. Like whole life insurance. All these things build cash flow. Banks don't want you to know that. So how is it that I feel all of this information is slowly being presented right now? And, and also there's a lot of skepticism. People are wondering, is this the short line to get to, to the top? Mm -hmm. Is this really true? Is this even possible? I've had these conversations. When I, re I recently just discovered whole life insurance as well. And I was like, why wasn't I ever taught this or learned or come across this? I don't understand how this doesn't work. Like, I, Or it works. And how come it was never presented? Because the government doesn't make a goddamn cent on it. That's why. They don't make a penny. Whole life insurance has been around for 200 years but it's the most misunderstood product. Can you give a brief overview? For, because I've, I've been speaking to people when I yeah. talk to them. I'm just like, I love doing this show because you have very candid conversations with tradespeople. Yeah. And then they'll speak to me either through DMs or we'll meet at a function or something like that. And I'll just be like, listen, I just recently learned. And that's I do the show to learn myself. So I meet mm. people that know more information. And I've always joked, I'm never the smartest person in the room, but I want to keep it that way. If you are the smartest person in the room, you got to change rooms. rooms. <laughs> <laughs> that's the bottom line. That's how it works. So if you want to just share with everybody the basic difference between term and whole life insurance. Term and whole life insurance is like renting and owning. When you rent a house... You have zero equity. Yep. So if you want to go rent a property today, what is your financial obligation up front? First and last month rent. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Everything else is taken care of for you. It's taken care of. You could stay in that place for years and years and years. And what happens, you know, every year you probably get a slow increase in your rent. 
And you could be in that place for 20 years and what started off paying a thousand dollars a month, you could be 23 years paying $4,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you leave that property, do you take anything with you? No, nope. nothing. Well, a little bit of furnishings and what have you. Furniture. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you have zero equity. When you buy a house, what's your financial obligation up front? A deposit of some sort. Yeah, maybe 20% down. Yes. Right? You buy a million dollar home, you put $200,000 down. But now you own the equity of that. You have that 200, yes, that, that equity is now locked inside your home. But when you make mortgage payments, a portion of that goes into your equity. And after 25 years, if you stay in that home, you own it and you get benefits from it, okay? Term is very similar to the same thing. It's the cheapest form of insurance, and it's great for someone who's just starting a family, you know, they're living paycheck to paycheck, but they need some sort of coverage just in case something happens to them. It's called income replacement. But I never say, I always say, listen, the most important Life insurance is the one that is in effect the day you die. And 89.9% of term policies are not in effect simply because they get too expensive as you get older and people cancel them. So now you're left with no insurance. You've been paying into it all these years. You could be paying into it for 40 years. And when you cancel it, bye-bye. All those premiums are gone. Yeah. So when people say, I'd rather have term life insurance, and I get into these arguments with people in my DM all the time. They think they know something. Like, buy term, invest a difference. Why would I buy a whole life policy? It's a scam. It's too expensive. Well, listen, it's the same difference. Why would you rent or why would you buy? Okay? Actually, term insurance actually ends up sometimes becoming more expensive than whole life because if you take a look at all the money, if you bought a, say, a 20-year term, basically what 20-year term is, let's say you're 25 years old and you bought a million-dollar policy, and let's say it's costing you 50 bucks a month. By the time you hit 45, that policy could now cost you 350 bucks a month. A month yeah. Okay, And now you have it for another 20 years and now you go to 65 and that now it's going to become $2,100 a month. It dramatically jumps. It dramatically increases. Yeah. Why? Because when the actuaries price out insurance, they take a look at what is your mortality rate and what's your current rate. If you're 25 years old, you're 30 years old and your mortality age is age 85, they're gambling say, what is the risk of you dying between here and here? And they say, well, it's very low. So they're going to price it that is... Still, they make a profit on it, but it's cheap. But now, you, as you get to 65, they're going, hey, this guy's 17 years out from, according to the actuary tables of dying, yeah. and we've got to add in all this inflation. We still have to build a profit. That becomes $2,100. So when you're 65 years old, you go, hey, I just, I'm just retiring now. I can't afford $2,100. That's like all my pension. So they cancel it. They cancel so not, it. Only, not only did you lose 40 years of premium payments, you lost the opportunity cost of what that money could have earned you had you had that invested someplace earning you five or 6%. So it actually ends up costing you more money than whole life insurance because whole life insurance, even though you pay a large front up front, you've paid for it for 20 years and now you own it and you own it for life. And you've got all these benefits. You've got all this cash value inside that you can access it during your living years. I do this all the time. This This is the stuff I teach people. Here's the magic question, John. 
what's the insurance company doing with the term life insurance policy premiums coming in from the majority of people? It's mostly profit for them. It's 100%. Like, it's all profit. It's so much profit. 1.1% will pay out. 1.1% of term will pay out. That's a, when you take a look at insurance company's profitability, a good portion is from lapsed policies. I know this. I, I, I'm discovering this myself, and it just yeah. boggles my mind. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you're, you're going to be, I guess, scared or intimidated by the upfront whole version of it, but the benefits outweigh it, like, dramatically. Outweigh Absolutely. It. Listen, if you're going to get insurance, start with term. Have but it. Have it. But as you start to earn more money, the great thing about term life insurance, you got to be careful which companies you go to to make sure that they actually offer whole life. They have a term conversion feature, which yeah. means you can convert a portion or all of it into permanent whole life insurance without having to do a medical. And you can do that in 10 years, 15 years. I did a couple recently for clients of mine that bought policies off me 10 years ago that want to increase the amount that they're putting into the whole life. And because we put a term rider on, I was able to convert the term that opens up the room for them to put more money in from their company into a whole life policy. But don't die with term slowly convert it over. So at least you have something and then you, you actually own something. It's basically investing your life, right? You're yeah, yes. So life insurance is not an investment. But a lot of people treat it like one. So I say, if you're going to put your money someplace, most people call it their cash savings. Mm -hmm. Would you rather have your cash sitting in a bank earning you 0.1%, 0 0.01%, yeah. or do you want to put your cash into something that's earning you over a 6% dividend, but the moment you put cash in there, not only do you have the cash, you also have the death benefit. So you could put, say, $10,000, and all of a sudden, you have a death benefit of a million bucks. Something happens to you, that $10,000 got you a million, but this money is growing at like 6% a year, and it's safe. There's, there's no volatility risk, no... There, there's this is a once once the insurance company pays out the dividend to you it's invested you can't lose it you put ten thousand dollars into the stock market you could lose there's that chance. there's and a it's great chance tax free it's it's tax free if you leverage it properly if you pull if you pull money out of insurance company yeah. the the first amount that actually went in is non-taxable yes anything above what you actually contributed it becomes taxable but there's ways around that. What, like personal tax, uh, taxable level? Or? There's a taxable level, yes. Okay. If I was pulling money out of my policy, but I never pull money out of my policy. You don't want to do that. I borrow against them. God. When you borrow against them, you can't tax debt. That's right. It's tax-free. This is why guys like Donald Trump, Grant Cardone, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, these guys leverage the shit out of real estate and they take on debt because they can't tax it. They're millionaires. Can't tax it. Are you looking to connect with key decision makers and influencers within the Toronto's built environment? Join more than 10,000 attendees, including Deloitte, RioCan, Broccolini, LedCore, Ellis Don, Multiplex, Colliers, and more at The Building Show taking place November 30th to December 1st. Across three days, The Building Show features countless networking opportunities like Hard Hat Happy Hour, more than 500 exhibitors on the expo floor to source new products from, and educational sessions covering the topics that matter most to you, such as how to run an effective business, high-performance construction projects, 
and looks into new legislation and changes to the building codes. If that's not enough to convince you, mention code CONSTRUCTIONLIFE when registering and you'll save 10% off your Building Show Pass. Register online at www.thebuildingshow.com. So that's insurance. That's insurance. But I want to get into um, CRA. I mean, for our American listeners and everybody outside in the world, right? So Canadian Revenue. Um, and also, I guess, the tax man down in South, right? So IRS, yeah. IRS, right? So it's just like, these are all little, I guess, tricks, techniques, little loopholes or what have you. Everything's legit. Like what we're talking about on this show right now and what you've shared and what you're doing, 100% legal. Oh, yeah. The, there's the, nothing the, about twisting the, the law here. See, no, the, the whole life insurance has tax provisions built into the Income Tax Act yeah. here and in the U.S. with the IRS. Um, whole life insurance works not identical, but in very similar fashions. It's still paid out. You can leverage it tax-free. Um, the IRS has no tax provisions. That's why a lot of people in the U.S. leverage uh, whole life insurance is because of the tax provisions. So back to the CRA, IRS, what are we doing wrong? What, why is it that like when we do certain things, are we paying too much taxes? Oh, God, yeah. I, I, I automatically know we're paying too much taxes. Yeah. We know the history of tax. We know where it all started and how it became, and it was a temporary thing, and that whole evolution, and all of a sudden, you can't stop a temporary thing that's really bringing a lot of money into people that are just wasting it on your behalf, right? Yeah. What are some things that you can share that could help us navigate the CRA, IRS waters to help us out? So then when it comes to being scared, I guess, mm -hmm. from the big bad tax man, yeah. that we don't have to be scared anymore, that we can actually stand our ground. And, and one of the first things that I learned was getting an accountant that wasn't afraid to say no to them, to defend you. Yeah. And I was like, you can do that? And he's like, yeah, I do it all the time. We're allowed to do this. We're, we're communicating. They can say that you're doing something wrong, but yeah. we can prove that they're, you're not doing anything wrong. So what are some things that you can share? Well, number one, if you're an employee, um, stop being an employee. If you're, say if you're a tradesman um, and you're working for someone, see if you can start um, a, your own business and work for them on a uh, contract business. Okay. Because as an employee, you have zero deductions. Zero. And if you're out there making a hundred grand a year, you have no deductions and you are taxed to the tits. Yeah. Like if you have a consulting business or a contracting business, now you get all these write-offs. You could write off a ton of things. You could write off your car. You could write off your tools. You could write off your mileage, um, insurance. There's a lot of things that you could write off. If you, if you rent uh, or own a home, you could designate Percentage. A percentage of your home as an office and get that right off too. As a T4 employee, you have zero deductions. Yeah. So that's one way of lowering your tax is stop working for someone and create a business for yourself. Now you're going to get a lot of deductions. When you create a business, you can have all your income paid into a corporation and get taxed at the lower tax rate, say at 12%, and then you pay yourself out a salary. This is what I do. All my, all my money goes into a corporation, and I pay myself a salary. I pay my wife a fee. She's my executive assistant, yeah. right? Part of the corporation. She's part of the corporation, right? I need help, right? So get away from being a T4 uh, employee and start learning how to get on a T5. Was it... I thought it was Shaquille that actually put his whole family under his corporation. 
benefiting them for the same reasons, right? Which kind of yeah. makes sense. But I thought, didn't, you correct me if I'm wrong, didn't CRA here in Canada change a ruling where when you're working subcontract-wise for a corporation for so many months or even a year or something like that, they automatically become an employee? I don't know. If, I, I don't know the the exact, but I thought they changed some wording. I, I don't know that le- that part of the legislation. And I would recommend anybody don't take this as financial advice. Yes. <laughs> um, talk to an accountant. Yes. Talk to an accountant. They would know better. On they would that. know better, and they would know the rules. So it's important to do that. I just I remember someone bringing that up because obviously, when you get a government that is being wasteful, they need to figure out how to get money from the citizens. Yeah. And I find that. The easiest way to get money from the citizens are the ones that are less educated about how to keep their money. Yeah. That's who you go after. You don't go after the ones that are educated about keeping their money. Right. Right. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. Um, The other big myth out there is, and it's been pushed since, you know, the late 70s or 80s, is RSPs. That's that is the that big, magic trick. Is it a magic that is that is the biggest scam yeah. that the government has ever created. So, if you ask anybody what an RSP is, they say, "Oh, I save my taxes," and the government promotes these as tax savings vehicles, and so do banks and a lot of financials, financial advisors. They promote RSPs as save your tax. Wrong. You don't save any tax. You defer the tax. Yeah. But not only are you deferring the tax, you're deferring the tax calculation. So, man, if I were to ask you, with the amount of immigration, a million people a year coming into Canada, and they're all going directly, most of them are going directly to welfare. Yeah. Okay. Who pays for that? We do. With the amount of spending that Trudeau has done in the last eight years, this man has spent more money than all of the prime ministers before him. Okay? Where do you think tax rates are going in the future, higher or lower? Way. Way higher. They have to. They have to. So if the banks and financial institutions promoted RSPs as come in and get your tax deferred, plan how many people you think would be rushing into a tax deferral or tax postponement plan a lot of people maybe not as many because there's there's some some people that aren't they're ignorant yeah they don't understand money um but it doesn't sound so it doesn't sound so catchy right if it's one word comes come save tax get your rsps and save on your tax people think Okay, I'm going to save my tax. No, no. You get a deduction. You save that year, but all you're doing is you're simply postponing it. All you're doing is you're reboring back the tax from the government. If you got a refund without even having to do an RSP, it's because you gave the government a non-interest loan. You overpaid yeah, them. You overpaid them. You overpaid them, and that's bad on your behalf. Which you shouldn't have. You shouldn't have. I always, I'd, I always rather owe the government. Yeah. Right? But if you look at the tax deferral system. If I was contributing to an RSP today and you know, my tax rate, let's say I'm in a 30% average rate, right? Cause there's marginal rates and there's an average rate. Yeah. Okay. Let's say I'm in a 43% marginal rate, but my average rate, cause they go up in increments. Let's say it's 30%. So I put in $10,000. 
what is my tax deductions? What is the money that I actually have deferred? It's about 30%, so $3,000. But if I've done this consecutively for 10, 20, 30 years, and I die, and I'm not married. We know where it goes. 30% or 50%? Well, yeah, because what they do is they take your total account and it's a deemed disposition the day prior to your death. So if you've got 400000 300000 that is your income for that year. And now you're going to lose probably about one hundred and fifty, hundred twenty-five dollars to $150,000. It's going to be around 54%. So while the government gave you a tax deduction of 30%, you're giving back them 54%. Who wins in this game? The government. They always win. So this, this is the scam. It's very similar to where I recently discovered, well, earlier this year, I recently discovered, like you've probably seen all these energy audits and the government offering these incentives yeah. to kind of get new windows, new insulation, all this other stuff. And then you get someone coming in, assessing the house, and then having a grocery list. If you get all these new windows, if you get insulation, if you upgrade this and upgrade that, all this other stuff, then you'll possibly get five or maybe $7,000 worth of government rebate. What you don't understand is that you just divulged to the government the exact value of your home now. So what's going to happen to your property tax? Oh, they're going They're going to make that $7,000 back easily within the next five years with your property tax going through the roof now. So do not do any energy audits whatsoever. Do not let the government anywhere inside your home to find out that they can charge you more tax. And they will collect at that point. And now you're stuck. Yeah. It's the same thing. And I want to get into homes where you get transfer of wealth where you're getting homes that were owned by parents that have lived in there for so long, immigrants that came in here, and now you've got children. The worst thing you can do is let that property go, isn't it? Because now it gets transferred over to the government gets an assessment from it. You get the freedom, I guess, of capital gains from that, depending on if it's sold, I guess, within a th uh, one year from the time of death of the last surviving title person on parent, right? Yeah. But... Isn't it more, doesn't it make more sense to keep that property or transfer that property into a trust that is more protected? You have to be careful with trusts because unlike the U.S., Canada treats trusts like a person. And there is a deemed disposition every 21 years. Okay. So if I was to put assets into a trust today and I created a family trust and I have a son who's you know 12 years old and I transfer property or some of my real estate into there number one I'm moving in there because I want to uh, start an estate freeze which I'm too young to start an estate freeze but a lot of a lot of uh, business owners will want to transfer the shares they own a corporation of a big business and they have a make they may have a big construction business and you know they're getting ready to retire and say hey uh, the value if, if I want to transfer my business, to my children, I'm going to freeze the value of my shares today. I'm going to pay the tax on it, and I'm going to move these shares into uh, a trust, and my child is then going to pay the tax on the growth. Just on the growth of it. On the growth of the shares yeah. or, the, or the asset. Anytime you transfer any property into a trust, you're going to have a land transfer tax. You just triggered a land transfer tax. Got it. Because you're transferring ownership. Now you have to look at the beneficiaries. What age are they? Because, you know, my son's 12. If I moved assets into there, I know in 21 years, if I haven't disposed of that real estate, 
whatever the capital gain, whether I sold it or I didn't, is going to trigger a tax bill. Yeah. So a lot of people misunderstand trust thinking, oh, let me just create a family trust and let me transfer assets there and I'm going to go away from the CRA and I'm not going to pay them anything. Wrong. It doesn't work like that. No. You have to be very uh, cognizant on at what time you move assets in there based on ages of the beneficiaries because you will have a tax bill in 21 years. Okay, so what if one of the beneficiaries is on title of that property still? Then why move it into a trust? Because then just, it depends. Are they, are they, are they a tenants in common, right? Well, if, if, if they're on title with, uh, is it joint tenancy or tenants in common, right? If a joint tenancy, then it just then moves over to them. Got it. Right? So without, that, a land, without a without, land transfer tax? Yeah, without, yeah, because they're joint, it's a joint tenancy. So all this talk that we've seen about trust, and I know there's been a lot of yeah. magic tricks. Like it's almost this perfect way to do things, but it's not as perfect as everyone's kind of presenting it. Trust create another level of protection. You could do a lot of the same things with a holding company. Okay. Right. It, you get the similar benefits from it. Y- yes. Yes and no. Just the, 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 the trust is another layer of protection against say creditors. Okay. Um, let's say you wanted to increase your lifetime capital gains exemption. Uh, you can, if you have a holding company, you can create a you can create a trust, and the trust would own the shares of the holding company. And when you add all the beneficiaries inside a trust, you just added two or three or four or five more lifetime capital gains exemptions for all the beneficiaries. Right. I got it. Again, talk to an accountant. They would know more inside. They would that. know more of this that it fits with what you're trying to accomplish. So we always say, and I've been noticing this too with a lot of tradespeople, is that first and foremost, set up a corporation. Yeah. Protect yourself. But I've been noticing that whether it's because of the actions of our current government, they're constantly trying to pierce the veil of the corporation and go after you personally. And I think that a lot of that is going on right now because they can't get to you personally. So they want to try to pierce. Now it's basically that starts getting into a legal world, right? Where they have to prove that you are hiding, I guess, behind the corporation itself. But everybody in construction has always spoken about get a corporation to protect yourself, liability and all this other stuff if something goes wrong and all kinds of things. But I've been noticing more and more people coming out of the work and talking to me about they're trying to pierce the veil. And I was like going, why are they doing this? Is it because there's been such spending that they need to go after and get these dollars? at a personal level at that point. Mm-hmm. But then now you're forcing people to go bankruptcy. Like you, that's what you're left with, isn't it? Well, here's what I would do. Okay. I would add a holding corporation. Because a whole court, if you have a construction company and you have equipment. So you got an LLC, you got a corporation. Yes. Okay. Create, create now a holding corporation because the operating company basically manages your active business okay if you have cash if you have equipment that is free and clear do not hold it in your active corporation transfer it into the holding company because now if creditors come at you whatever you have uh that you don't um Whatever you own, move it up to the whole court. They ha- they can't touch you that. You don't own it at you all. You don't own it. The holding company has it. Keep very little assets inside the active corporation. And that goes along with your lifetime capital gains exemption. 
So if you have a Canadian-controlled private corporation and you are the shareholder, right now, I believe in 2023, you have a $971,000 capital gain as exemption. Now, there are some sniff tests that CRA uses that for you to qualify. Yeah. If you have a ton of cash, let's say your retained earnings, and you have it's just sitting there, that could hinder you from fully accessing your lifetime capital gains exemption because this is now passive. It's not active income, it's yeah. passive. Don't keep money inside there. Move it into the holding company, right? This is how you can add another layer of protection for CRA and against creditors. Now, can you do any of these actions? Is there any retro? Like if you do something anticipating that something might happen or whatever, and then can CRA come back and well, if you did this because you're trying to hide or save or keep, they can always come back with gar. Yeah, is the general anti-avoidance rule. They're always whatever you do, they're always going to try to apply gar. Okay. Okay. That's just CRA. That's how they are. That's how they are. Yeah. Right. It's like I don't know if you want to get into politics, but like the Democrats. Whatever they don't like, oh, you're racist. You're racist, you're racist. We, we, it doesn't matter what you talk about. If they don't agree with it, you're racist. Yeah. It's like the CRA. Whatever they don't like, we're just going to apply guard to it, right? And there's uh, this whole menu of items inside the Income Tax Act that go again with GAR. So if you have, just if, if you hold cranes or if you have dump trucks or excavators or bobcats and you don't owe any money on them, there's no liens, get it out of your operating company and move, just transfer title into the holding company. Work vehicles. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. Anything but, of value. Yes. Anything of value that is free and clear, move it out. If you got cash, don't keep cash. Keep just, you know, whatever you need to operate the business for the next few months. Don't keep tons of money in there. Move it into the holding company because now you're you're open to creditors. You're open to CRA coming in and seizing your accounts for whatever reason. Where should we, John, where should we where should we put our money? That's a that's a really good question. <laughs> for a rainy, stormy, lightning, crazy future, where should we put our money? Well, let me ask you this. If you were to pick an investment, okay. choose any investment you want okay, to put your money into, what would it be? But before you answer that, think about what that investment would be. But before you answer, think about the benefits that you would want that investment to have. Think about... Um, Ease of, ease, ease of getting money into that, into that investment, okay? How easy is it for you to get in? Are there limits? Are there caps on it, okay? When you get the money into that investment, is it taxed? What's the tax efficiency on it? Generally, people want that money to grow tax-free or tax-free is good. It's a, it's a nice utopia. Right, right. Uh, tax deferred is second best, but I don't like tax deferred because eventually I got I got to pay the tax bill, yeah. right? And and I don't want to pay the tax bill later down the road when when I just know that the tax rate is going to be higher. So I want investments going to grow tax free. I want to be able to have access to that money without penalty. Yep. I want to have liquidity and use of it when I need it. I'd also like to have a death benefit. 
that if something were to happen to me, whatever amount of money I have in that vehicle is going to get paid out to my family tax-free. I'd also like to have some disability provisions. So if I ever became disabled, that the investment vehicle will become self-funding. Let me ask you a question. If you're putting into RSPs, let's say you're maxing out, you're putting 18 grand a year in or 20,000 into your RSP. If you got hurt on a construction site and you became permanently disabled, will the government continue to fund your RSP for you? No, they won't. No, they won't. It stops. It stops, yeah. Well, a benefit to this investment, whatever it is that you're thinking about, you'd want to be able to have it self-funded if you became permanently disabled. So there's a, I guess, a critical illness clause of some sort? or Well, it's a disability. disability. It's a waiver of disability, okay. right? right. Uh, another this is fine print. Like this, you oh, have no, to it's, Yeah, it's in there. It's, it's in there. Oh, but yeah, you have to just know there. that it's in there. Yeah, yeah. You're aware of it. Yep. Okay. Um, another benefit that, that would be good to have in this investment vehicle is ease of distribution. How hard is it to get my money out? Right? It's one thing, it's easy to get in, but then trying to get it out. Is it difficult for me to get that money out? And when I get it out, how am I taxed on it? Because you will be. You will be. Now, the lower the tax, the better. Now, if you think about any investment out there in the world, it could be gold, precious metals, it could be stocks, it could be mutual funds. Um, it could be... We get into crypto land. You can get into crypto. You can get into real estate. Real estate. Anything, any investment out there. If you had to choose one, what do you think it would, it would it's be? real estate. Real estate? Yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Whole life insurance. Really, huh? Whole life insurance. The benefits outweigh like the... Oh, yeah. Really? Well, listen, if, if, if how, how, how do you access the cash inside your real estate? It's actually quite difficult. Sure, it's very difficult. It's very difficult because- Especially these days. Yeah. Listen, um, you know, I talk to, people ask me all the time, I want to double up my mortgage payments. Why? Why do you want to give the bank you want more to get money? To the tax line, finish line faster? Yeah, no, because now you're giving up control, access, and use of your money. Because when you give it to the bank, try and get it back. Because now when you put it into your home, it's debt equity. It doesn't, doesn't make you any money. And when you need to have it back, you now have to go to the bank and ask for permission. And the bank says, well, you need to qualify. And if you don't qualify, you don't get your money. And if you do qualify, they're going to lend it back to you at prime plus a half or prime plus two, whatever it is. So getting the money out is very difficult. Getting in it is easy. Getting it out is very difficult. Okay. The reason why I like whole life insurance is because of the cash value component that comes along with whole life insurance. And that's something that you don't get with term life. Whole life often, that's why it's more expensive because when the actuaries price this out, they're pricing and saying, you're going to pay this thing off in 20 years that we're going to take however many years you have your life, and we're going to push it all into 20 years, but we're going to give you a whole bunch of benefits. Attached to it, dividends. Right? And right after the first year, you can start accessing this money. I do it all the time. I do it for real estate. I do it to buy a vehicle. I bought property in Dominican Republic by accessing my whole life policy, by Just taking policy every, loans. Like everybody an example, like I guess, is it fair to say that what you would be paying for term in an annual is almost comparable 
possibly a, another 25 or 50% more that you'll be paying in a monthly on a whole? No, if, if I was to buy a million dollar term life, so let's say- A million dollar uh, term life at 50, let's say. Term life at 50, yeah. So a million dollar policy. Well, I'm just, I just worked on one last night. Okay. So client is 35 years old. He's a smoker. Uh, he's buying $1 million of 20-year term. We're doing it as a term rider onto a big whole life policy. But that's $156 a month for a million dollars of term as a smoker. As a smoker. It's 156000 Now, we're buying... Uh, almost $800,000 of whole life, okay? And we're, we're, we're max funding it, which means what we're doing is we're overfunding it with cash. So there's a base premium. There's a, a top of what's called additional deposits. And that's, he's putting in 2,500 bucks a month. So it's 30 grand a year. But after the first year, he puts in 30 grand. He's got access to over $21,000 in the first year. Tax-free. If he borrows again, yeah, that's 70%. That's 70%. 70% of the value of what you've put into it. Yeah. After the first year. After the first year. After year five, I sorry, it's after this year six, he's at the break even. Year six, he's put 180,000 bucks in. He's like 177,000. And then after that, basically for every $1 you put in, you get more than a dollar out. So now you're mm. getting more money out than when you actually put in. You have access to all this money, right? So that's just... That's why people say, oh, whole life is very expensive. Yeah, it is expensive, but you've got all these benefits and you're going to have this thing for the rest of your life and you get to access it during your lifetime for uh, uh, whatever you need for it, for vehicles, for real estate. Uh, my best friend, um, we talked about him. Um, he's, he's up in Muskoka. He's doing really yeah. well. Um, listen, he, he started a policy 10 years ago because he was buying uh, Mac, Mac trucks. And, and I said to him, I said, hey, how much do you spend for a Mack truck? He's like, 200 grand. I said, what, what, kind, of, what kind of financing? He said, you know, it's between 7 to 8% financing. I said, well, how, what if I taught you how to be the bank? And he just kind of looked at me like, what are you talking about? And I talked about whole life insurance. I said, after a few years of you funding a whole life insurance policy, I'm going to teach you how to be the bank. You're no longer going to have to go to Mac and apply, make a credit application for $200,000 to get a truck. Basically, you're going to call me up and say, I need $200,000 for my life insurance. I'm going to give you a one pager. It's a no questions asked loan. No credit check, no credit application. I'm going to put 200000 bucks. You're going to give me a void check. I'm going to put your policy number on it. And in five to 10 business days, you're going to have $200,000 in your account. And your money is still going to be at the insurance in, inside your policy, untouched and still growing uninterrupted, compounding annually. Basically, the insurance company is giving you a no questions loan based on the collateral of your cash value. So, now you're creating velocity because if you had to take $200,000 out of your bank account, you've given up what that account would be earning, plus you're losing the lost opportunity cost. Yeah. With, with whole life insurance, you're never taking from your cash value. You're simply borrowing against it. So now you've got that dollar, but your dollar's still there working for you. And now he does this all the time. That's, this is how he buys equipment. He keeps... Reborrowing, like rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. He's the bank. And here's another problem that I know your listeners face too, especially if they're construction owners. When you go to buy a piece of equipment, all banks, 
if you're running it through the corporation, they're going to ask you for a personal guarantee. Yeah. Are you looking to connect with key decision makers and influencers within the Toronto's built environment? Join more than 10,000 attendees, including Deloitte, RioCan, Broccolini, LedCore, Ellis Don, Multiplex, Colliers, and more at the Building Show taking place November 30th to December 1st. Across three days, the Building Show features countless networking opportunities like Hard Hat Happy Hour, more than 500 exhibitors on the expo floor to source new products from, and educational sessions covering the topics that matter most to you, such as how to run an effective business, high-performance construction projects, and looks into new legislation and changes to the building codes. If that's not enough to convince you, mention code CONSTRUCTIONLIFE when registering and you'll save 10% off your Building Show Pass. Register online at www.thebuildingshow.com. Now when you look at your credit bureau, I'm in the mortgage business too. You know people like I get that are business owners and I look at their credit bureaus and I say, what's this lien? Oh, that's through my company. I need to know what this lien is. It's for a piece of equipment I bought. I need to know the monthly payment. And when they tell me the monthly payment, they say, well, why does it matter? I said, because you gave a personal guarantee. And the way the banks look at these, if your business failed to make that payment, you're personally liable. I have to include this in your debt servicing ratios. I'm sorry, Mr. Client. You didn't get approved. You're not approved. But I don't understand. My business pays for it. But you gave a personal guarantee. Again, back to the bank is making sure this happens to benefit them. Banks, tra- banks protect themselves. They always transfer risk. Banks are always looking to transfer. They don't assume risk. They're always going to transfer the risk onto you. And going back to life insurance, people say, well, you know, why would I buy life insurance when I can buy term, pay really cheap amounts, build up all my investments, then I become self-insured? That is the dumbest thing I ever heard. Why would you want to assume all the risk? Transfer the risk. Manny, you're a smart guy. If I said to you, I've got a dollar here. If I sell you this dollar for 10 cents, would you want to pay 10 cents for this dollar or do you want to give me a dollar for the dollar? <laughs> you're giving you the dime. I, uh, yeah, <laughs> you're going to give me the dime. Yeah. But that's because that's you just transfer it and that's what insurance does. So, so if, why don't the majority of people know this? Because they're not taught it in school. And the banks aren't going to teach you this they stuff. They won't teach you that. They won't you, teach you this. And you have to have conversations with people that are aware of this stuff to kind of guide them through, like yourself, right? Where you yeah. start learning this stuff. And then you're taking that dump truck just for final assessment, putting it into the holding company. Once, Yes, because now, guess what? You've, you fully paid for it because there's no lien on it. You paid cash. The insurance company gave you $200,000. You paid cash for the dump truck. You move that into the holding company. Now it's protected. And now you owe the insurance company back the 200 grand. Well, people say, well, what are my monthly payments? That's the great thing about when you do loans with an insurance company. They're, these are called unstructured loans. There is no st- monthly. monthly payment. You pay it back whenever you want. See, when you go to a bank, this is a structured loan. When you walk into a bank... Their bank's going to tell you what the interest rate is, what your term is, and how much a month you have to pay back. And what happens if you don't make a payment in a month? Goes up or well, penalized. It, you get they get penalized. Yeah. Uh, try missing two months. They're going to come and take your collateral. Of course, doesn't matter if you owe. Let's say you took out a five year uh, five year term. You might owe one year left. They're coming to take your truck. Yeah. Right. And they're going to sell it, and whatever there's left over, they'll give it back to you. But now you've messed up your credit. Okay. That's called a structured loan. 
when you go to an insurance company and you borrow against your whole life insurance, it's a private loan. It becomes an unstructured loan. The only known thing is the interest rate. There is no term. There is no monthly payment. However, I always say to my clients, if you're going to be the bank, be an honest banker. <laughs> Pay it back to yourself as you would the bank. Because, because you still want it there for when you need it there. Yes, you, want it, you, you always want to be able to increase your borrowing capacity. And CRA can't touch that. No. That money comes out to purchase that vehicle. It's a loan. It's a loan. It's debt. Yes. Now you've got a free and clear item holding. And the cash, the cash sitting inside the, the life insurance company. It's still there. Protecting it's protecting your life. And it's also creditor protected. It's creditor protected. It's creditor well, protected. Too. Really? Yes. Whole life. Yeah. If you have a named beneficiary, it's creditor protected. This is another way That's I teach. Okay. This is another thing that I teach business owners on how do you get money out of a corporation on a tax efficient basis? I have these discussions with accountants all the time. I meet an accountant and say, hey, you do a lot of business owner work. How do you get money out of a, a person's corporation on a tax efficient basis? Well, there's only two ways. One is T4 income, but you never want to do that. We're talking, we're talking retained earnings here, right? Yeah. Right? We're using retained earnings. How do you get that money from the, the corporation into your pocket? You don't want to T for it because that just puts you up into a top marginal rate and you're going to pay the top tax. Excellent. Dumb idea. Yeah. Okay. Most accountants are going to say we're going to T5 it. T5 is a dividend. We're going to take a dividend out. And if the corporation paid the lower tax amount, then you're going to pay a top dividend range of probably around 47%. If the corporation paid the top corporate tax rate, then you're going to pay a lower dividend amount, but still going to be around 43%. It's still better than 53, okay? Still not that great. Some accountants use a strategy called a capital gain strip. Now what they're doing is they're going into your lifetime capital gains exemption and they're stripping it away at 27%. So say, okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna start to do a strip and you're going to pay 27%. That's still pretty good. But I look at the accountant and say, I could beat you. I'll do it at 0%. And they just kind of look at me like, how do you do that? Whole life insurance. But it's corporately owned. It's called COLI, C-O-L-I, Corporately Owned Life Insurance. And basically what happens is, remember I talked about that holding company? Yeah. Okay. So the, you have an operating company. You're going to create a holding company. That holding company is going to own the shares of the operating company. Now you can do a interchange of money between the two companies. So if I've paid my taxes on my earnings in the operating company, I've got retained earnings. Don't leave it in the opco. Move it up into the holding company. Now, how do you get the money out of the holding company? Yeah, how do you do that? Well, you buy a, buy a corporately owned life insurance policy because- And you put it into that. And you put it in that because Trudeau took away the small business owner's uh, uh, option to take money from a holding company and invest it to create their pension. He, he's taxing it now. Anything over, you're allowed $50,000 a year, but anything over that is taxed at 54%, right oh, off the hop, okay. 54%. You're allowed 50,000. And by the way, that 50,000 is not per shareholder. It's total for the corporation. So if you have a holding company and you have two shareholders, it's 25000 each. That's all you're allowed. Anything is 54% tax. Trudeau screwed over the business owner. He, 
he wants everybody to be on this level playing field, yet all the business owners take all the risk, okay? So the only financial tool that remains in Canada that still uh, has all the tax provisions within the Income Tax Act is a corporately owned life insurance policy. Now I'm able to purchase a corporate life insurance policy. Let's say you're, you're, you own the holding company. It's based on your life, but the holding company is the beneficiary and the owner. Now you're move, moving money out of the corporation into the whole life policy yeah. tax-free. It now grows tax-free. And because you're the shareholder, you get to access that money as a shareholder tax-free, except there's a rule that CRA says, if you're going to take a corporate asset and use it as collateral, you need to pay a usury fee back to your own corporation. And that could be anywhere between three and 5%. Well, that's fine. It goes back to your corporation. So you have a million bucks and you, you collateralize a million bucks. All right, pay five grand back to your, your own corporation. But now if I'm a shareholder, I'm getting to access that money as debt tax-free. That's tax-free income. This is how a lot of people, I'm showing people how to create their own pensions because you, you get- You have to these days. You have to. So when you, when you ask me what are some ways that people can get around the tax, one is if you're an employee, get away from being a T4 employee, learn how to, and, and start a business and learn how to operate a business as, um, as, as, a, as an employer and put yourself on a payroll from your corporation and get a lot of tax deductions. The other thing is, is now once you're a business owner and you've got, you've built up returned earnings, how do you get that money out? Move it into a life insurance policy. Now it's going to grow tax-free, you get to access it all tax-free. You could use this as your retirement income, all tax-free. And creditors can't touch it. What's it cost to just start all this stuff? Like, I mean, for, I guess, first of all, it's a phone call to you. And just sit down and figure out what you want to do, right? What's your end game? What's your objective? Yeah. Whether you're in your 20s, 30s, 60s, whatever, right? Yeah. You sit down and you assess based on their life what they want to achieve for their retirement and happiness, right? Yeah. And then you start giving them options about this is how we're going to start. This is how we should start. This is how you're going to get protected because the government's not going to get better. No. Paying more taxes is inevitable unless you figure out ways to get around that legally speaking. Legally. Right? Yeah. That's all you're doing is that all you're doing is using the tricks. And that's why we've appreciated certain people like whether you like them or not, Trump and anybody else, they use the rules and the game to their benefit. That's all we're trying to say here. Yeah. And Learn the rules. Trump came out, if you remember his debate, remember and Hillary that, was here, he, and says, he just said it. He says, I'm screwing, I'm screwing the system. The same way? The same way you and all your donors are, yes. but you're not going to do anything because the people that give you money, look right at Hillary and said, the people that give you money do the exact same, same thing. thing. If you want to make a change, change the tax codes. Which you'll never change that. No. Because then now you're going to get a bunch of people that are really benefiting off of this, right? Yeah. Is CRA, can they? Can they change rules and try to get, or but they can't because they're using these rules too. Yeah, you know, the insurance industry has a $150 million a year lobbying budget. I mean, obviously, they're very well aware of this, yeah. and they know what's going on, but changing the rules of how tax-exempt life insurance operates, now you're really you're really messing a lot of things up, especially when you come into estate planning and estate freezes and just how life insurance itself works. I mean, 
you really you're really going to screw a lot you're of things up, up. and you're, you're and you're going to piss a lot of people yeah. off and you're going to lose a lot of those that money that lobbying money what are some things that you can share regarding estate planning like well, how should young families be get ready for that get yourself a will like if 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 you don't have a will if you're married and you have any type of assets get yourself a will contact a lawyer and start a will because we know if you don't have one you die into state right if you die into state do you really want to leave the decision up to courts on who gets your money i mean the government has already proven they don't know how to manage money <laughs> they prove it on a daily right? basis. On a daily basis. <laughs> Don't leave it up to them. Damn. Get yourself a will. It, it, it'll it cost you maybe, depending on how many assets, how much assets. It may cost you 800 to 1500 bucks to get a will, but trust me, you don't want to leave it up to the courts. And you want to look at moving some assets. You don't want to hold them personally because the more assets you have in a will, the more is open to probate and you want to keep probate really low. So start, you know, talk to, talk to a tax lawyer uh, about how to avoid having things owned personally. Uh, you can start looking, getting them to again, a trust possibly if that's right for you or a holding company. Why would a trust not be right for you? Would a holding company be better for you than a trust? Uh, well, when you have a holding company and want to leave things to beneficiaries, then you have to make your children shareholders. Okay. Okay. You could put children into a family trust, and that's one thing. Yes. Uh, again, you got to think about the twenty-one year deemed to be disposition rule. So that's that's going to play an effect. Again, I'm not offering financial advice. I'm saying go talk to a lawyer. Do your own homework here, and and speak to an accountant and see if that is right for you. Makes a lot of sense at that point. Yeah, but there's there's a lot of vehicles that are still available to structure your finances that's going to minimize the tax impact to you and the family what about i mean you see was it a few was it paul martin our pm that we discovered that he had his permanent residency in the bahamas Bar Barbados. bermuda, bermuda. Berm was it bermuda bermuda his shipping his shipping yes. in bermuda so that was strictly a tax thing like of course that. it was a tax play <laughs> <laughs> are those rules still in play at that point like that's what you can or can't do or like i just found it really strange that the pm of canada yeah. primary residency wasn't in canada yeah but it was done that way for a reason yeah um you know a lot of people um i personally know of people that uh pay a lot of tax and they are moving their residencies out to dubai to bahamas simply because they're tired of 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 paying this amount of tax this amount of tax and you know canada used to be great and to some it may still be great but to others who've been here all their life and they see how we've declined as a nation we've gone from being one of the greatest countries in the world to having a man ruin this country in eight years with uncontrollable spending High taxes. Unaccountable spending. You know, let's not even go there. <laughs> um, high cost of homes. Yeah. Record amount of immigration coming in that is now they're going onto the welfare system. Um, high crime. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had my, my truck stolen off my driveway in June and they never recovered it. And actually, it was myself and my neighbor. They stole them at both the, vehicles, both at the exact same time. 
And I just got a, a new truck a month ago. And, and within three weeks, they already came back to try and steal that. But luckily, uh, my wife was up at 6 a.m. and she yelled at them and they ran away. Wow. But the cops, when you talk to the police, they are just so frustrated because of Trudeau's policies. And I'm not trying to turn this to a political show, but let's call a spade a spade. These ki- they, can't, they can't lock these people up. They hold them for 24 hours and they're gone. And, and honestly, uh, the reward is worth the risk. There's a bunch of people. And in- people are leaving. I, don't, I, I know they are. They're, they're arriving and they're leaving. They're realizing they can't. Yeah, I never understood how it was a different ball game when my parents immigrated to Canada back in the late 70s, how homes were under 100,000. 30,000, 40,000. But I mean, sure, interest rates were higher in the teens and what have you. Yeah, and people wage were still was, buying homes then. And they were still buying <laughs> homes then. And they were still making a wage, whether it was maybe yeah. less than 20 bucks an hour, if you were yeah. a laborer or what have you, what story was, or like a bricklayer, sorry. And, um, but that made more sense than what it is today. It's just like when you have people that are not, they're still making 60 or 70K looking at purchasing homes that are seven figures. Like that just doesn't make any sense at this point, right? I don't know how my son's going to be able to buy a home unless I give him one of my properties. That's the only way because I'm I'm seeing. I've heard a real estate agent do that. He's actually buying properties to gift them to their children because they know that they will not be able to purchase a property. Uh, In my mortgage business, I I see people all the time coming to me and saying, um, my parents are gifting me the money. And they're, they're, they're taken out of their retirement funds. A big problem I have with that. And you know, to help their kids out to get into the real estate and because the prices are just too high. But I go back to the beginning of the show and we're talking about how we're life expectancy is, yeah. where it's going and most likely your parents, they're gonna need that money. Like, yeah. they're gonna wanna enjoy their later years. That's just the bottom line. They sure they want to help their offspring, but maybe the offspring doesn't need to buy that house. Maybe they could just find something else, something simpler, or maybe stay at home a little bit longer, save more. But then that's the big dilemma now. Like, how are you? I'm sure you're having conversations with lots of young people. How do I get into the game? And the, I guess the big question that a lot of agents will say is just, you just start, you just get in there. But is it really attractive now to get into the game at that young age and you're not making the money that? You need to be making to get that. Well, the problem, Manny, is is the the amount that these young people are able to save is is still not catching up to the increasing in the value of the homes year over year. They're they're still falling behind. Will it ever catch up, John? You know, you know, I'm reading different reports. They're saying Canada is on the brink of a housing bubble. They've been saying that. For They've been years. saying that for years. But there's a lot of ingredients that are going on in this bowl right now that it, there, there's a potential. Uh, yeah, but I also see that if they if they reduce the interest rates, which I think they may in third quarter of twenty twenty four, because I technically we're in a recession. We are right. We've we've already had four quarters of negative GDP, and two quarters of negative GDP is a technical recession. We've had four. So why isn't that being expressed on media? I don't pay attention. Media. <laughs> because you this don't is, want to tell the world. You don't want to scare that. people. You don't want to scare yeah. people. Right, exactly. but technically we are in a recession. I think it's just going to get really worse. It's going to get really bad before it gets better, and they're going to have to reduce the interest rates. Probably second, I, I would say third quarter, twenty twenty four. But they're going to they're not going to be too quick to do that. But once they do start to lower the interest rates, 
it's just going to make things worse because now the prices of homes are going to go up because now the demand is going to go up, but there's no supply. Which, which goes in, in the construction industry. I mean, CHCMAC already came out and said, we are 3.5 million homes in need. We're short that, that amount. If you take a look at the amount of immigrants that are coming in, a million people are coming into the country and they're building, what, 200,000 homes? But how is an immigrant, so what is the average cost of a home these days? Like just simple, bare bones, suburban, new build, are we still six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars? Yeah, you're seven fifty, eight hundred thousand. Depends so, if you're going to Barry or you're buying in Toronto. Are you buying in Vaughan? We're not talking in Toronto. Like <laughs> are you Toronto buying in right Vaughan? now? In the GTA is, is million and a half. Is, exactly right. So you've got an immigrant coming here. What do they have? They don't have a bank account, a suitcase no. full of money. So how are they getting approved? And it's even hard to even get rent, like rentals. The rent's another scary story at that point, right? Yeah. So it's like you go back, and I love your analogy between term and whole regarding rent and, and mortgage payments, and it, it makes sense. So how are the immigrants, so they're turning around and they're leaving. We know the stats are 100,000 coming in, right? And then all of a sudden, 40 can't even find a place to go. And how many of those people are really coming in with actual money? Most of them are coming in and getting on the system. They're not, right? So that's the problem. So how do we sustain that? Then I go back to the homes and we're lack of. We're losing the trade force. Yeah. So we're losing the, the, the body of people that are supposed to be building these units, right? And you're now seeing it this year is when you started seeing projects being put on hold. Because there's this discussion about how there's so much homes and inventory already in place that have a certain value to it. That if you were to build a new building or property, the profit margin on that new one can't match the profit margin on the old one. So why are you going to build a new one now? As a builder, as yeah. an investor, yeah. you're not going to make money now. And nobody at that level builds homes to not make money. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the cost of, of, um, the cost of, of material these days, and I just heard a recent number. Um, I'm not in the development construction industry like you are, but I heard a number that right now development charges are on a condo is like 100000 a door. And I go back to, okay, it's not really that I'm 51 going on 52. I've never really, I've had a problem with paying taxes, right? But lately I've had a major problem with where my tax dollars are going, mm -hmm. right? If, if you had a more financially responsible government entity using the money for what we really need it for. And I just like, I said at the beginning of the pandemic, I said, this is an opportunity for every country to look internally, to fix what's going on internally. There's no reason to be looking sound great on a global stage. There's no purpose of that, but that we saw what was unfolding and nothing was taken care of at home. And what do you do if you got a problem at home? If you go to your neighbor's house and start talking to them about what's going on, you fix things at home. You fix internally first. Yeah. But that hasn't happened and it's continuing not happening. So I have a problem with paying taxes and seeing those dollars going in places and being wasted for purposes that I don't agree with. And if I'm a taxpayer, I should have a say. But we've had guests on the show here talk about how the government has gotten rid of those rules now. We can't even complain about our ministers. You're, 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 uh, labeled, a, you're, you're labeled a domestic terrorist if you do. <laughs> and your bank accounts get frozen. So then all of a sudden, <laughs> why, why are you going to speak up? So then you're seeing a, max, um, a mass exodus of this country. You're seeing yeah. people that have had enough. And it's like, I'm sure you've had dozens of conversations. I've spoken to so many people. You've got tradespeople like, 
I'm tapped out, man. I'm like, literally, I'm thinking about going someplace else and yeah. opening up a food truck, and I'm just going to enjoy my life elsewhere that I don't have this hovering devil all over my head just picking at me until I'm dead. I know so many people that have up and left and moved to Florida. I know a couple people that um, are are now in the process of moving to Dubai. I know one person that is in the process right now of getting residency in the Bahamas and he's moving. Uh, he's changing his residency because he's tired of paying the exorbitant amount of tax that he pays. He says, listen, uh, I was an immigrant to this country. Canada was really good to me, but this has gotten out of control and I, and I'm not going to do this anymore. Maybe if I paid 30% tax, but I'm paying 54% and it's to me, it's not worth it. And so he's, uh, he's, he's taking residency up in the Bahamas and, uh, he's not going to, he's not going to be paying tax here anymore. And I don't blame him. Uh, there's so many people doing it right now. We should be doing the research and just finding out like, I mean, the same way that you came to Canada and you did the research and you chose Canada as a, yeah. as a place that you want to start a new life, a new family, new everything. But if it's not looking attractive anymore these days and things are being more and more challenging, like it's just, I could tough. fix, I could fix the economy very quickly stop immigration hold off on immigration for now and if you're going to come in you're contributing you're, you're you're not allowed to go on the system for five to ten years you you, you can't go on the system yeah you got to bring something in and contribute to building the economy or doing something that's going to contribute to uh, the community lower taxes mm-hmm. right when you lower taxes, people have more disposable income. They're going to put it back into housing. They're going to put it back Purchase. into purchases. That's going to boost the economy. It's going to create yes. jobs. You know, if you're gouging people, you're just pissing people off and we're losing good talent. A lot of these doctors, they're leaving. They're great doctors and they're great medical professionals and they're leaving this great country to go into the States because they're taxed at such a far lower rate and they're not capped at what they can, what they can uh, earn. If the government just did their research and, and stop gouging people and trying to look at how much can we gouge this person for and this amount and say, Hey, listen, We'll make more tax dollars if we have volume, but let's lower the rate and let's spur, let's, instead of us making business investment, let the people earn more money so they can go up, open up and take on the risk and earn and and create these businesses. And then they're going to employ people. It's not that hard to fix the formula. It's a very simple formula. And I love, I don't know if you heard Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett said, I could, I could fix the economy in five minutes. You make every elected official responsible for their spending any amount say one percent or two percent variance over gdp you lose your job you're no longer elected you watch how fast government gets their shit in order and stop this this crazy spending that'll never be it'll never happen the reason a politician i remember seeing david suzuki speak at a keynote speech for an event and he was like the primary reason of any politician to get into a position of power from the day they begin, is to stay reelected. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the primary. It's not about serving the people. No politician is about serving the people. So that's kind of scary at that point, right? Yeah. 
it's just it, I agree with you. I mean, if you started doing all these things that you people would contribute, people would help the country. We have such a an amazing country. We had such a amazing we country. Had, had. Right. And it's yeah. just it's become something because of who was leading us, right? That whole lion and sheep analogy, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it's like it needs to change, but we have to wait until it's gonna change. It's not gonna happen this year, it's not gonna happen next year. You're gonna be looking at twenty twenty five and then you start looking at people. How can we survive that long now? A lot of people are losing a lot of things now. Well, just look at the damage he's done in eight years. Imagine another two years. At the very end, at the worst, right? Yeah. So it's just kind of scary. So when I, I just want people, I mean, this is not a, a this is about a wake up. It's about a realistic look on yeah. how you should be looking at things regarding yeah. your financials, right? Yeah. And I think that a lot of people, especially in construction, they have this mindset that they're busy and they're working and they start their day at four and they get up and they go to the job site and they have full day a happy client, happy crew, every, and then you come home and then all of a sudden you're not really on top of your finances. You don't know exactly, but you just start seeing checks coming in. You start seeing transfers coming in. You're like, we're making money. We're doing really well. Let's buy this. Let's buy that. But are you? Are you making money? And then you should really be assessing yourself and then also finding out what profits you do have and speak to someone like yourself where can I maximize those profits? Back to the very beginning of the show. And where Probably. can you where can you plug your financial leaks? That's that's what everybody I do. has. That's those. what I do. Everyone's everyone. I'll guarantee you, everyone is losing money unknowingly and unnecessarily, and it's just in how they invest and how they spend. So, if by working with me we can plug those financial leaks, even a small drip you're going to accumulate more wealth than you've, you've imagined. And the problem is people will spend more time planning their next family vacation than they will the rest of their life. Phone, and that's, battery. And that's a really power. sad statistic. Sad. It's very, very sad at that point. You should be looking at this as this is the critical. If you don't address this now, whatever age you're at right now, whatever situation you have a family, new family, old family, whatever, if you're not addressing the situation, some of the smartest tradespeople I've seen come on the show here are the ones that are telling me that they're driving around in a 20 year old, you know, Civic, or whatever. That's what they use as a vehicle instead of the ones that are telling me they just bought this brand new $100,000 2022 or 2023 pickup truck. Mm -hmm. Figure out your priorities when you're coming. Like it doesn't matter about being the shooter, so to speak. Who cares about that? I almost feel like more and more people, if you want to be financially responsible with yourself, become invisible. Like ignore, like you said earlier, your circle of friends. Like ignore what they're doing and just become invisible to them and focus on what you really need to be doing. If you want to become truly uh, financially free, and when I say financially free, is you have assets that pay for your lifestyle. Stop hanging around the people that aren't there. And if you really want to accelerate, stop doing what they're doing. You got to start doing what the 1% are doing. Mm -hmm. Because you're, you're just going to fall into that same trap. And you're not going to get anywhere. You're just, you're just doing everything else that 98 or 97% of the population is doing. And that's not going to get you into financial freedom. Is it true, John? I just, we're getting close to wrapping it up, but is it true? Doesn't matter what career option you chose. You can set yourself up financially. Well, if you have the right guidance yeah. and the right know-how, it doesn't matter if you're, and I'm not dismissing anybody. If you're a janitor, 
your tradesperson, your CEO, your doctor, it doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. Like we've heard stories, you read these stories where you had single UPS drivers worked all their lives, but they were financially yeah. strict about where they yeah. put their money and then they would retire at nine, 10, 11 million dollar income bracket. Yeah, yeah. So I have a, I have a rule, it's called the 50, 30, 20 rule. Okay. 50% of your gross income should go to your fixed expenses. Okay. That would be your rent or mortgage, your car payment, utilities, cell bill. These are your, your, your expenses that you know is fixed every single month. 30% is to your discretionary, your lifestyle, your clothing, your haircuts, your shopping, movie theaters, restaurants, that. And 20%, 20%, you got to pay yourself first. That's your savings. That's your savings and investment. Save it. Build it. Pay yourself first, though. If you don't get the habit of paying yourself first, and you know, and I've talked about this so many times, and I get so many DMs, and people go, "Oh, I don't have any money left over." Listen, I'm going to tell you something. If you can't save five bucks, if you can't save when you're broke, you're not going to save when you have money. People always say, "Well, I'll save more money when I make more money." Bullshit. If you can't save five dollars a week, you're not going to then, because what happens is you get what's called lifestyle creep. And as you make more money, your lifestyle improves also. Keeping up with the Joneses. Exactly. That's a dangerous game. You don't want to play that. Take 20% from your paycheck and put it into your savings and then live off 80%. If you do that, you will never go broke. You didn't make 100. You made 80. Yeah. Learn, learn to live off 80. That's all it is. Really simple. Yeah. John, okay, I got the 12 questions left. Let me share the deets again before we do it. John Durbano, right? Yes. Durbano. What's your background? Italian. Uh, what part? Abruzzi. Mm. <laughs> you guys are tough guys, no? <laughs> <laughs> We're lovers. We're lovers, not fighters. <laughs> Signature Wealth Advisory, www.johndurbano.com, 647-300-4495. And you can reach him on his email at john at signaturewealth.ca. And he's all over social media. Just find him through John W. or John Durbano or Johnny.Durbano. 12 questions. What everyday sound brings you joy and comfort? Everyday sound? Laughter. What's your favorite beverage? Tequila. Any particular brand? Addictivo. It's uh, rare. <laughs> <laughs> what is your least favorite tool? Oh, it's j- funny. It's an interesting question because I know it's a construction show, but yeah. a tool could be anything in life. Hey, I'm Italian. I was born with tools in my hand. <laughs> so there could be a least favorite tool there. Well, I, I, I got injured using a jigsaw once, so <laughs> not a bad one, but... <laughs> scar? Just left a scar or did it... No, no, there's no scar, thankfully. Okay. Uh, what turns you on creatively? Uh, successful people. You get jazz for it, huh? I like hanging around people that are smarter than me and doing better than me because I learn from them. It's the only way. It's the only way. What word or concept do you find overused these days? (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) What is your favorite curse word? Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite vehicle? Anything in the world? Any mode of transportation? Uh, I'd say the one I'm driving now. It's a Rolls Royce Wraith. What color? Black. Uh, What do you miss from your childhood? Oh boy, that's a good one. What do I miss from my childhood? Um, You know, the freedom, the freedom, you know, 
going out, I remember, you know, weekends and summers, just, I spent all my, my childhood outside playing. And now the summertime comes and I look at my son and all he wants to do is be on video games and stuff. I'm like, when I was your age, I never, I didn't want to be inside. I was on my bike riding down to the beaches, going to the pool, or I was hanging out with friends. I was never inside. How many times could you count the streetlights turning on? Oh my God. Every night. Every night. Every night. And, you know, my mother would yell at them, Johnny! Because I was somewhere around the neighborhood playing hide-and-go-seek behind parked cars and stuff with yeah. friends. Like, we just, we never spent indoors. So I, I, I miss that, that, that freedom of people just being outside and playing. What term or phrase resonates with who you are at your core? Determined. If you could master a skill outside of your own expertise, what would it be? Um... I would say uh, public speaking. You haven't mastered it yet or no? You know, you're getting better. I'm getting better. Yeah, I mean, I'm different than my first show and we're into the 400s now, so it's just, yeah. Yeah, it's funny because my wife sees me, I was, I'm starting my own podcast and you know, I was a little nervous about like how to interview people and stuff. My wife sent me this thing this morning. You'll never be as bad as your first time. Of course. Like you, you, you just, you just got to go out and do it. Just go and do it. You perfect it. Yeah, you perfect it. That's it. So, and who cares about their earlier shows? That's what archives are for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you could speak to any historical figure, who would it be and what would you ask? Uh, Einstein. What would you ask? Why he never gave up making the light bulb. He tried a thousand different times. And he never gave up. He just said, I found a thousand ways not to do it. He was very determined. He never, he never give up. Maybe he realized that he could build a light bulb that would last forever, and then corporations would come along and yeah, did what they did in history. Yeah. Last question: If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at those pearly gates? Good job, son. John, absolute pleasure having you on the show, man. I really appreciate. Thank you it, for man. having me. Pleasure. I know that you've enlightened quite a few people that are listening right now, and uh, I hope they reach out to you and start talking to you. I myself will be doing that and just talking, but I. Total pleasure having you on and just discussing. Thank you. Like this is it, our objective is to make money. Our objective is to yeah. keep as much of it as possible, and our objective is to have it secure for our loved ones. Well, it's easy to make money. Yeah. The point is is keeping the money. That's the difficult. And not part. giving it away foolishly to the tax ban. Right. Thank you very much, man. Thanks, Manny. That's it. We're out of here, Angelina.